Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. So today we are joined by renowned author Lada Larson, who will be talking to us a little bit about her new book, Shaping Taxpayers, Values in Action at the Swedish Tax Agency. It's so great to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So why don't we start a little bit by... um, talking about how you got involved in social, social anthropology, especially in the sphere of taxation. Yes, well, it's, it's quite a long story. I came late to academia. Um, my first degree was in economics. I think I always wanted to become a researcher. But in economics, I never really got it. I could not see the economic instances contained in what actually happening in society economically, so to say. So I didn't pursue a researching career there, but I worked with financial software for many years and in many international places. Um, when, so to say, I, I got in midlife the opportunity to start studying anthropology. And the reason why anthropology was that working with this financial software in many places in the world, it was, you know, it's the same type of work, it's the same type of software, and still places and people were quite different. Same, same, but still so different, so to say. So I started with anthropology, and eventually I read a book about anthropology anthropology of the economy, and there I was hooked. So 20 years later, there was someone who posed all these questions I couldn't find in economics. And um, so that was the first reason for it. And secondly, I found I found ethnography so incredibly powerful, you know, because it takes people seriously. So anyway, this led to a dissertation on how people justify the purchases of what we call in Sweden black work, which is work off the books or basically not paying taxes when you ought to pay taxes on on purchases of work. Um, it was a big issue in Sweden in, in the early 2000s, and everybody said it was wrong, yet most people seemed involved. Uh, so, for example, if you think about a guy who repairs bikes, he repairs it for a family, and he gets something for it, fine, and perhaps for friends as well, and then he starts doing it for the entire neighborhood. So when does the service become off the book, so to say. When does it become black in the Swedish uh, way of talking about it? Is it the way of organization? Is the amount he earns on it? Is the relationship between people? Of course, if you help, you know, someone in the family, it's not black work. But if it's come people, friends of friends, so to say. So um, it led me to the law, which says in Sweden that it's all-encompassing in the sense of that if we exchange services, if you and I help each other, for example, 
Um, and this service has value for us. It ought to be subject for tax, regardless of how it is remunerated. So if I get money or if I get a thing in return or a service in return, in practice or in theory, sorry, it ought to be subject for tax. Um, and thinking about that and then thinking with Marcel Mauss in his seminal book on the gift, where he says that the gift, or rather exchange, is a total social phenomenon. You give, you receive, and you give back, and a relation is created. So where does this lead us if everything is subject for tax? How do you create the border, so to say? So I I realized that it was a Swedish tax agency who had had the power you can say, or perhaps you can also say that the politicians were not really responsible mm-hmm. of, of giving this responsibility for the tax agency. So I approached them with a question of, you know, continuing doing research after my dissertation and asked them about it. Because in Sweden also, we have one of the highest tax rates in the world. They finance all the welfare we get, but uh, we pay an awful lot of taxes. And we rely also on that all the other pay a lot of taxes because otherwise we wouldn't pay it, right? right. Um, so seeing, viewing taxes as explicit economic relation to the state and implicit relation to all other suites brings us straight into the core of economic anthropology. So I was really hooked on this idea. <laughs> And approaching the Swedish tax agency, a legal expert, she thought my questions were quite childish. She says, mm-hmm. you know, interpreting the border, it is common sense. Um, whereas the analyst or the manager for the analysis department, he uh, thought it was a really interesting question. And eventually I was invited to follow risk assessment project. So, and yeah, what was the risk assess- assessment project? A risk assessment project, it's a way for the agency to find out about issues in society that pose a risk for them to collect the right tax. Right. The agency is quite interesting because it has a moral motto. We envision a society where everybody wants to provide their fair share and they want to collect the right tax, not the maximum amount of tax. Mm. And they are actually quite... (laughs) You know, I, I found that the outcome there is that it's quite an interesting place because most is one of the bureaucracies that is most esteemed among Swedes, despite that we pay such a lot of money in taxes. So uh, I became interested in, in this knowledge a risk assessment project produces because they are also what the management uses as uh, how to say base basis for decisions about how their future strategies will look like. So this kind of led you to writing a complete book about it, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of talked talked a little bit about this sort of bureaucracy. So if you could go into a little bit more detail of the structural composition of taxation from those who are in control and what it means to construct tax compliance. Um, So could you maybe talk a little bit more about this, elaborate? Absolutely. Um, 
the Swedish tax agency, as I said, you know, they they have a quite astonishing standing in society amongst all the bureaucracies. Again, despite that we pay a lot of taxes, and but they have not always had that. So they work quite hard and deliberately of having legitimacy, if you like, right. that we should trust them and that we we trust them that they also treat all of us equally. And this, I actually start the book with that, and it goes back about 50 years with the famous uh, movie director Ingmar Bergman, and he was actually um, arrested with the help, by the tax agency with the help of policemen. They came into one of the big, um, uh, or at Dramaten, which is our biggest theater here in Stockholm, and arrested him on that he had been cheating with taxes. And obviously that didn't come, this didn't come down well in society because who, not in Sweden and nor abroad. And Ingmar Bergman reacted obviously quite, uh, quite strongly to this. So they started really working with values of, uh, you know, basically treating taxpayers in a different, in a different way. And I show this quite a bit in, in a chapter about a random audit control, which was one of the um, components of this risk assessment project. And the random audit control is a way of of looking into society, see where problems of a specific uh, specific tax problems are, and it's a way of doing audits. And what is interesting is that I found in this random audit control is that it's very deliberately secured uh, way of working. They really, you know, make it uh, statistically correct and they want to ensure that we do things very, very correctly and uniform ways. So that's the internal control. And in some way, it also corresponds to the way they always work, which should work very professionally, very controlled very uniformly throughout Sweden. But on the other hand, in the contact with the taxpayers, they are very, they talk a lot about these auditors, that they should be reasonable, they are empathic, and they, we should cooperate. We should really try to understand the position of the taxpayers and his everyday, um, everyday working, what the problems are, what the, um, um, what the challenges is for, in this case, uh, some sort of entrepreneurs to pay the correct taxes. So they very, very explicitly work with this. And all in order, not just to be nice, but in order to make people comply with taxes. So, yeah, you kind of um, talked about sort of this structure also of the risk assessment project or rather what its aims were, um, and sort of a piece of this was the section on um, attitudinal surveys, which I, of course, was rather intrigued by, um, and you touch upon its limitations, relevance, and its ability to be sort of problematic. Um, so I was wondering if you could explain these attitudinal surveys to our audience and the implications of these surveys on tax agency. Mm. Um, perhaps I should first say that the, the risk assessment project, uh, it was based on 
on one, the attitudinal survey, which mm-hmm. I come back to, and then this risk assessment project, right. and then, of course, a lot of other type of knowledge. Sure. But get back to your attitudinal survey there, is that, first of all, it's attitudinal surveys, you know, I guess you, you have yourself been subject to them when you are called up and someone in the call center asks you about certain questions about a certain topic, right, because people want to, to know more about it. The political services political surveys is what we usually encounter, but also marketing and so forth. And the agency's own reputation relies on survey data. As I said, you know, they are esteemed. And how do they find out that they are esteemed? Well, they make services to individual taxpayers and to corporations. And they ask of taxpayers' views on the agency, the views on diverse type of tax cheating and um, you know, when you are in contact with the tax agencies, do you think it's a good, do you get a good um, response or do you get a bad one? Are they quick in handling? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but the implications of taking views on something and say that they actually are, there is a tension in that. And in the risk assessment project, they would do a survey because this is what we always do. Right. So very carefully constructed questions about, you know, relevant to this risk assessment project and um, engage the call center to form them. And first of all, I thought, wow, this is quite a boring <laughs> subject. Mm-hmm. The survey would like, like to, you know, write anthropologically about a survey. Um, but starting to think about it, it's quite an interesting thing because, you know, survey and surveillance comes from the same etymological root. Sure. There is tension between the verb to look carefully at right. and noun, a general view of the people. It is a secret to be revealed, not in the individual answers per se, but in the whole, right? right. So I, I found John Laws, uh, he had an article seeing like a survey, and uh, he talked about an uh, archaeology of, um, of surveys, whereas I could actually make an ethnography of the service. So I adapted a little bit his, his views to the, what I saw was made at the agency and also performed at the call center. And um, so what you actually do, what I can show is that, you know, you make this particular group of taxpayers into a problematic group just by posing questions about them. Yeah. So always, although, you know, survey and its questions can be very, very carefully made. And I tell you, the analysts spend a lot of time doing it. A survey is never innocent. Sure. Yeah. So, and the, the way the analysts spoke about it was that do taxpayers answer the truth to certain questions? And especially when it becomes when it comes to questions about tax cheating, you know, it is a little bit sensitive questions, right? Respondents mm-hmm. trust that they are anonymized. And <laughs> um, so they tried to come around this. They wanted people not to scorn at their questions, but take them seriously. But then sitting at the call center, um, I, was, I was sitting with a, um, an interviewer there for a couple of days, and, and she said at some point, and now I come to the porn question. Hmm. And and I said, porn question? You know what you mean? <laughs> well, 
you know, this is the metaphor from an earlier survey about watching porn on the internet. Hmm. Of course, hardly no one we asked did this. Right. And the question here in the for the risk assessment project was that, you know, have you made any of these deductions yourself? Hmm. And there were very, very few who said they had. Whereas in truth, when we went, or in truth, I will not say that, but according to the random audit control, there were very many, many people who have made those deductions. So it's kind of like this, it stems sort of like this, um, this problem that kind of exists between like transparency between like survey and like what is like truth in tax agency. So it seems like you were able to really get at a lot of really interesting problems and really analyze them at its core. So I was just wondering like what it was like for you as a social anthropologist to conduct field work in this arena, especially at the in terms of the Swedish tax agency. Well, First, I have to say I'm, I'm really grateful to them because I think they were very brave to let me in. Yeah. You know, I was sitting there and I have, I tell you, literally hundreds of hours of transcribed material from these meetings. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it was not always, you know, easy for them or in the beginning it was not easy for them because it was a handful of analysts doing this. And then having someone who's sitting there typing and, and listening in and, and and recording what they were doing. But they got used to me, I guess, as you get used to everything. I had my tasks and they had theirs. Right. And uh, I think also that they were, you know, a little bit curious. Well, they, they were very curious about what I would, you know, say about them. They If they could learn something about themselves the way they had learned something about buying black work from my dissertation. Right. I have presented my book at the at the agency, and we have done quite a few of different, well, quite a few different things together, so to say, of, of looking into different types of qualitative knowledge. And, um, yeah, and we have had many discussions over the years of different tax issues. So um, how do you, how does your work sort of relate to other professionals or practitioners in the field? I know it's sort of um, novel because it's you work in a field that's intersecting um, economics with anthropologists. So I was wondering if you could speak to other professionals or practitioners in anthropology in your field. I hope I do. I will do. I mean, I, I hope I will inspire. Yeah. Uh, uh, other, first of all, I hope I will inspire other anthropologists to take on taxation because it has so many interesting questions in there. You think about, you know, this is one of the most boring subjects there is, mm-hmm. which I, until you start really thinking about what is going on here. Um, but speaking to the broader field of people interested in taxation, from practitioners to researchers from other disciplines, I hope that. I can show that anthropology have a lot to offer. I mean, we don't give the entire uh, response to what is what tax compliance is, but we can also add with different types of knowledge. And for example, this of taking a holistic view of um, what tax compliance is in this sense, 
We take people seriously. We don't do surveys. We don't do experiments. We don't try to just measure based on uh, some sort of well, of models or theories of what why people you know take economic decisions or different ways. Um, and we also can provide a view from the inside. In this case, I was there for three years at the tax agency. So um, I think we have a lot to offer, and I hope we will. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, and what about like I mean, you we've kind of talked, we've touched a lot about um, the structural aspects of your book and a lot of conceptual drivers um, and motivations for your book. But what is it that you hope to? inform readers and maybe some of our audience members who um, are considering reading your book, um, sort of like what is like the motivating message that you um, wanted to drive home through this book? Um, to other anthropologists, I, I to, to do both a sort of, let's say, a modern anthropology or, or engage with a, a very classical Anthropological question of, of, you know, economic exchanges and the relations they create. Yeah. But um, but how to say on a on a larger scale perhaps because I'm I'm studying I'm studying uh, this tax agency or taxation more broadly. In this book, I study the tax agency, you know. So uh, I, and so that's for anthropology, but for other tax practitioners or people interested in the tax compliance field is also sh to show that knowledge about taxation is much so much more than just a well-written or well um, legitimately written tax system or tax laws that you know can be elegantly and, and uh, legitimate from a legal perspective but we also have to see how they are interpreted and practiced, if you like. Um, yeah, so that's what I, I, I hope to I hope to convey that. And let's hopefully also give a good read about something that sounds very boring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, when I first was reading your book, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to read about taxations, which sort of seems like a dry subject, but it was really quite fabulously written. Um, so, of course, I think a lot of our audience members want to know what sort of the next step is with this research, what kind of projects you have going on right now, um, sort of any future plans you have for us. Yeah, I, right now I'm in the midst of, of the a Horizon 2020 funded project. Again, it's an interdisciplinary project called Fair Tax, uh, where we look into uh, into issues of, of trying basically very interdisciplinary. Here are legal scholars, economists, and sociologists, anthropologists like myself, who look into different aspects of making taxation fairer on on a European level. Um, and in the end, the, the legal scholars will also write policy uh, prospects. What I'm looking into uh, is something that OECD, the OECD has um, 
proposed as a way of working between tax authorities and big multinational corporations mainly. And this is where we're working called cooperative compliance. And I coordinate this project on a Nordic level, where we also collaborate with UK and Irish scholars. Um, it is a comparative study. We intend to do this of this way of working, cooperative compliance, because the OECD and the tax authorities themselves they, they try to boast this way of working and saying this is the future, this is the modern way. But what we can show is that, not only us, other scholars have shown that as well, is that there's a lot of problems with it. And in Sweden, actually, which is quite astonishing given the, um, the reputation the Swedish tax agency has, it is a failure. So I published a, a report which is called Sweden, a failure of corporate compliance. Um, and, and here, again, we try then with all these countries we have, the Nordic countries and the UK, Ireland, the US and the Netherlands, we're going to try to make a comparison of projects which are in different legal constituencies with different uh, tax systems and with different ways of working and still try to get some sort of essence of what works and what does not work. So we'll see what, if we can, if it will be possible to do that. But it's very, uh, the, the essence is that this is based on qualitative studies, other ways of working, engaging with all stakeholders. And this is what's new to this. So is there a lot of field work involved? Um, it has been, or my colleagues are doing more field work than I am, because in Sweden, <laughs> It was a failure, as I said, and the failure actually sort of came about before my eyes when I was doing this, is that there's only one participating corporation in Sweden. Um, so we try to uh, do participant observation, qualitative interviews, and of course the document studies and so forth. So will this be culminating in like a book at all? Because I'm sure our audience wants to hear back from you. This would not, uh, perhaps a book in the in the long run, I mm -hmm. think, yeah. to do the comparative studies. Sure. Right now, just, I just um, published a report on this. And the interesting thing is that I presented my work at the, the tax agency and also for the other stakeholders. And the tax agency, they agree. It is a failure. Okay, well, um, it's been so great to have you um on our show today and also like this new culminating project also sounds really interesting and it should be really intriguing to find out the results of sort of a cross collaboration that you have going on um, and again I urge everyone to pick up a copy of Shaping Taxpayers Values in Action at the Swedish Tax Agency by Lotta Larson. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you so much for having me.